Today's sponsor is Audible, with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio news, comedy, and more. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com decode. Today's show is also brought to you by Videoblocks. Videoblocks is a subscription-based stock media company that gives you unlimited access to premium stock footage everyone can afford. You get unlimited daily downloads from a library of 115,000 HD video clips, After Effects templates, motion backgrounds, and cinemagraphs. On average, subscribers pay less than a dollar per download over the course of a year. Everything is 100% royalty-free, even if you get your subscription canceled. Keep what you download and maintain usage rights forever. Get a yearly subscription today for only $99 at videoblocks.com slash recode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. And I'm Lauren Good, Senior Editor of Technology at The Verge. And this is Too Embarrassed to Ask, a podcast that's all about making technology easier to understand and use. If you have questions about tech that you've been too embarrassed to ask, you have found the right podcast. No question is a bad question, so send us yours. Submit your questions in advance by tweeting to at Recode or myself or Lauren with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. That's two R's and two S's in embarrassed in case you cannot spell. Aw, thank you so much, Kara. I love no it problem. when you spell for me. I'm simply also, referring to you on that. Oh, yeah, I'm the one that's more likely to mess it up, I suppose. Uh, mm-hmm. But you can also email us because we've caught up with the times and we have an email address now. No, actually, oh, some email. of our listeners were, were writing in our reviews on iTunes and saying, we have questions and how can we send them to you and, and not have to tweet them? And so we have an email. It's too embarrassed, two R's, two S's at recode.net. Do we have a carry pigeon next? Is that our next move? Yeah, carrier pigeon, but it's it's an Uber that just um, yeah. All right, okay. Carries the um, or a Didi, really, is yeah, what Didi. it is. You can find a, a all of our past episodes on iTunes at iTunes.com slash too embarrassed to ask. And while you're there, leave us a review. So, Kara, we were in the same city last week. I was so happy to be yeah. taping our podcast in the same city as you. We just had, I, I had a great time. I don't know about you. No, um, I couldn't get far enough. It was as good for you as it was you. for me. I could not get far enough away oh. from you. I'm in and New now York you're, this week. Now I'll be in Australia next week. And I then know. I'm going to Borneo. I'm going to be coming to you from Borneo. So, when are you actually back in studio? You're probably back here when uh, I'm in New York. Mid August. Mid August. You've planned it I don't quite know. I'm well. I'm giving you my schedule. I'm not giving you my schedule. It's very secret. It's yeah. very oh, secret right, schedule. right. Yeah. I'm a very glamorous person. Yeah. I can't, like, We're going to tell you how a secret it is when we talk about hacking later yes, on. Yes, okay. In no, this no, episode. Don't. All right. Okay. Pretty fine. sure the Russians have access right. to your schedule. We're going to bring in an expert, correct? Yes, yes. We have brought in Russell Brandom from The Verge. He is my esteemed Hi. colleague over The Verge, and he covers all things cybersecurity. Russell, thank yes, you for joining Yes, he's sitting us. right across from me, and he's giving me the creeps with all this hacking situation. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a lot about hacking this weekend. I'm very excited to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, you did. Yeah. You I mean, there's a lot going on. Yeah. So, yeah. Russell, tell so, us what the latest is. We're talking about us. this because late last week, after the DNC, I think it was after the DNC had concluded, uh, news reports started to leak out that it was believed that Russian intelligence services had hacked the DNC. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, it's Putin, essentially. And then they also possibly yeah. hacked the Clinton campaign, computer systems, and possibly others. And and also the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Campaign committee. I, was, right. I knew there was an extra C in yeah, there. Yeah, Um So this is one of the weird things. My, my like pet thing is I don't really... The word hacking, well, it's catchy. It's like a little weird because it lumps all this stuff together. So, I mean, the thing with the DNC was they got this huge email archive and they sort of somehow it found its way to WikiLeaks. Somehow. And it was really embarrassing. Like, this is not something that's going to be worth a lot of money if you're a criminal hacker, Mm -hmm. but... It certainly was really embarrassing. Debbie Wasserman Schultz ended up resigning mm-hmm. as chair of the. This is the, the representative DNC. who is chairman. Yeah, um, Florida. 
And so, you know, it was clearly very damaging to her and sort of damaging to, you know, it was this was not the impression that they wanted mm-hmm. to be starting a convention with. And she and resigned because that, her emails were showing a bias towards the Clinton campaign and against Bernie Sanders. Yeah, and there was a lot of sort of... Um, you know, after you get off the phone with someone you don't like and you kind of are like, I cannot believe this horrible person. Uh, there's yeah, like just every a lot time Kara wraps that... the podcast taping with me and no, she fires say that loud. I don't about care. Much. <laughs> my emails reflect, my tweets reflect what I'm saying right now. <laughs> yes, I'm um, sorry, Russell. So, Go yeah, on. I mean, so then the DCCC uh, hack was a little weird because it seems like it was intercepting information that people were sending to the DCCC. Yeah. So it wasn't actually... Financial information. Yeah, financial information, which is obviously bad news for the donors. But it also doesn't necessarily mean that the actual DCCC website was compromised or any of the information that they had themselves was compromised. So it wasn't that their big list of names and credit card numbers came out. It was that some of the they thought they were sending it to the good guys and they were really sending it to the bad guys Mm -hmm. and then i mean the clinton campaign so you know there had been rumors that they may have been targeted for a while there was i think a new york times report a few months ago and then we got kind of late friday this admittedly good scoop like they weren't just attempts someone got in Mm -hmm. but then it's kind of not clear what they got like if you read the article all they said was it was hacked. An analysis part of the program. They're being very... Yeah. Well, and so this is the thing. So then the Clinton campaign says, oh, no, it was just our voter targeting information, which is like, well, you know, Rust Belt voters care about the economy and we should talk about the economy. when we And, and like, you know, if we know this about a person, what messaging do we want? Which, I, I mean, I'm sure they spent a lot of money on, but is not super sensitive or, you know, it's not politically sensitive. It doesn't... You're not going to gain anything by releasing that. But also, I mean, the Clinton campaign, it's in their interest to minimize it so sure. i don't know that it, we can yeah. entirely take them at their word but it is one of these things where it's just well you're not gonna we, say i mean I, yeah. just like sony you're gonna be very quiet about what was taken how was it taken and everything yeah, else exactly. so you don't set off a chain reaction yeah so it's one of these things where they're all hacks but when you lay it out like that it's not clear if all of these people want let's the same just say thing. it's not good it's no, it's certainly Russell, not good. This is None not of good. These it's a breach and it's of some Putin. sort. Like, and it's Putin. Well, so this is because you're going to get me in trouble now because Why? all my, I mean, it is just like Sony in right. that Putin is sort of, you know, I'm someone, just using that as a broad. Well, Russian yeah, thing. no, but I mean, this is it's, it's very dicey anytime one of these things comes up because attribution, who did it mm-hmm. is the first question. Well, I believe most of the reporting says that the Russian intelligence services of which he ran once. So, I mean, yeah. this is essentially an attack from Russia, yeah. apparently. And then there's a question of how the, uh, our administration should respond, our government should respond to it. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think the weird thing about it, though, and I think the reason there's a lot of among security writers, everyone's very, very nervous, basically about ever saying anything. I mean, God, Vice just did a whole documentary about how Sony wasn't North Korea and everything's fine. But I think, you know, the really sort of proof, proof evidence you never really see. It's never really public. And also the only people who get it are private security companies and the government. And we don't really trust either of those people. So you very easily end up in this place where it's like, well, there have been, you know, indications, but who really knows and yada, yada. Yeah. But still, is is it part of a larger wave of cybersecurity hacks? It just is. It's like it seems yeah, like yeah. every day there's something and whatever nefarious reason or whatever political reason or financial reason, it's just increased. Or maybe we just know about it. Well, I think there is this sense of... You know, it's the IT revolution to, mm-hmm. to be. That's a couple revolutions ago now. But I mean, as more of these things come online, 
it's harder and harder to make sure everything is locked down. And so right. you just, and, and no one really knows what the best practices are. And there's mm -hmm. no easy answer to it of like, let's just buy everyone an iPhone and everything will be taken care of. Like mm -hmm. there isn't, there isn't a simple fix for it. What kind of hack was this exactly? This recent hack? These recent Which one? The, the, all, the, the DNC hack. The DNC hack seems to have been spear phishing. So they sent someone an email with some attachment and they opened the attachment. Which is common. And, and then, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it, it's just, it's generally how these things came in. It doesn't seem like they had a new vulnerability to it, but it was just that it was sort of downloaded through this email system. And then once some user of it clicked yes to the attachment, then from there, it sort of spread until they had everything on the email system. Mm -hmm. Russell, when we were chatting earlier about this, uh, we were basically saying how it feels like everything is vulnerable these days, right? And so most of the security solutions that we're seeing is just there are vulnerabilities and some people are keeping on top of them and patching them as needed. And in other cases, the patching is not being done. And so it's just a race to who can expose or patch these vulnerabilities first and it seems like it's almost inevitable yeah i mean i think i was gonna say in this case there wasn't like a zero day vulnerability which is one where no one even knew that it was out there mm -hmm. it's, we've known about it for zero days mm -hmm. but generally you don't really need one of those i mean they, it's something like 99 percent of intrusions that happen it's sort of a known vulnerability that you just Either no one had written up a patch, which does happen. I mean, it's like six months between mm -hmm. when these are disclosed and when people get around to fixing them. Or it had been patched, but the patch just hadn't made it out. I mean, I think the thing with the DNC, and this is a little tricky because I'm going to get in a little bit of trouble in terms of like free software, but probably the worst, you know, if, if you were to pin it down to a single choice that they made, they were running their own email server not in like a hillary way although sort of like that in but like a, <laughs> but in a sort of you know it was just a we don't know exactly the software they used but it, it probably was wasn't the similar finest, to like right. exchange it was not weapons grade a sort of microsoft serverness. yeah exactly um but i mean the main thing is it wasn't just an instance of gmail for right. instance where you would have if someone attacks your instance of gmail it's sitting on the same cloud server with all the other instances of gmail and they have some person who's looking at all of them and if weird right. stuff starts happening then they can shut he or she yeah jumps in and, and so what is yeah. the most common form of hacking these days what is the i mean i think i would say generally if you talk to the penetration testers which is someone you hire to mm -hmm. hack your own company sounds dirty uh, <laughs> right, yeah. um they say the simplest thing is always spear phishing where mm -hmm. you research some it's spear phishing because it's specific so you say okay who are russell's friends you know what's the name of russell's landlord and then i'm going to figure out i'm going to dummy up an email that looks like it's from russell's landlord it's going to have this attachment and then i'm going to say you know oh my gosh like we need you to sign this document are you going to be in, evicted tomorrow and then that's a pretty good way for me to open an attachment and mm -hmm. so then i open it and that's it mm -hmm. um that's generally how they get in. And mm -hmm. then it's just a matter of, you know, there are, you know, you've got mice in your house. How do you get the mice out of the house? And mm -hmm. it's just sort of I a, move a network game. <laughs> well, really? What are some other to. examples of that? Like, was the Target hack from a couple years ago uh, the result of spear So spear that one's interesting because what they were, 
So the whole cycle of payment process, or they weren't really payment process, but but point of sale hacks. So this was Target, Home Depot, PF Chang's was in there, I think. And it was sort of different versions of the same software that would just hit place after place after place. And I mean, you know, now we have a whole different, you know, permanently change the balance of power between like stores and credit card companies. But what, so they were trying to get onto this point of sale terminal, which is the tiny computer that you put your credit card into, which is harder to get into because it's sort of it doesn't like go on the Internet. You're not opening your email up on them. So that they went in, they compromised, I think in Target specifically, they compromised the company that was providing air conditioning services to Target like corporate. Mm-hmm. And then they compromised them and then included somehow from there they were able to jump so there's over almost to the no way network. to keep people out that it feels like that well i mean yes yeah, so there is the the change in perspective in the last few years has been you don't it's not about building a high wall it's about finding out as soon as they're in mm-hmm. so you sort of have awareness of when they get in mm-hmm. and then being really good at getting them out mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to just saying we're never, you know, our plan is no one ever gets in. So it's sort of, you know, instead of just having a big wall and then people just chip at it until eventually they get through the wall, you're kind of keeping an eye on it and then you see everything that comes in. And so you just have a very good awareness of what's happening instead of really hardening it so and counting on nothing ever getting in. So there's spear phishing attacks. There's attacks on financial services or, or point of sale systems, we should say in this yeah. case. There's obviously like, you know, Stuxnet, which was a zero day event. Yeah, yeah. Right. Which is, is that, that's categorized differently from the other things we're talking about. What other kinds of yeah, hacks? I mean, I mean well, does so skimming I count as a hack? I mean, it's, I mean, it's sort of, that's a, it's, it's a little bit of a, the word kind of means everything. I mean, the way I think about it is the motivation. And sometimes that can be a little fuzzy too, but fundamentally people are interested in, you know, most of the time it's just people looking for money. And so they mm-hmm. want anything that they could, they want your credit card number or they want your social security number or they want like a large database that they can sell for money. And then this sort of gets passed around. And that's sort of most of it. And most of those people aren't very good. It's like petty thievery. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and that, I mean, but that's also the thing that you probably have to worry about the most. Mm-hmm. Like if it's just in terms of like who took over my mom's Facebook account, it was just some random criminal so he could ask people to wire in money like that's mm-hmm. so so but, but in a more serious way we talk about that and everyone just sort of the way things are going to be as people yeah. are online but i had written a story this week on trier's blog he talked about voting machines which has mm. been a, a debate for years about yeah. the, the, the vulnerability of voting machines. it was even a plot point on scandal the president won his job from a voting machine and if it was on abc yeah but but he was talking about the serious vulnerabilities of voting yeah. booths and that this the russians could target these uh, voting machines even though and suggested a number of things like a paper trail um, and no internet voting whatsoever like it was he was sort of underscoring that idea which is coming i think internet voting it's tricky i mean i think the the big thing is the uh you would have to change politically what voting means because i Mm -hmm. mean the main the main reason we have non-remote voting is just old school like tammany hall era voter fraud where like you know Bankoff calls us all into a room and he's right. like, guys, I'm really excited about all of you voting for, yeah. you know, Jill Stein. Right. And then <laughs> I 
just is this, a, is this going example. to happen? Um, and then, and then we all sort of he watches us fill out the ballots, right? Or I mean, right. the union boss or whatever, right? And right. this is kind of the classic yes. model of voter fraud. And this is why they say, okay, no, you all, we have to make sure it's just you heading into the booth and no one else sees it. And you can only fill out one ballot and do that thing. Right. But I mean, I think, you know, otherwise, yeah, like it, it's a real concern. I think it's the people I would be worried about hacking voting machines would be the people with direct access to the voting machines. And mm -hmm. I think it's tricky. I feel like this is a scenario in which we should be able to make sure that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know that I have that much faith in our government. And I think also one of the lessons of the DNC hack, I would say, is we do have these organizations that are vital to our democracy whether or not you like them like we need to be able to have these political organizations that have the capacity to communicate privately right mm -hmm. but they're not very well funded and they're all sort of shoestring operations as are many voting yeah exactly operations. as are as are the voting operations and i mean yeah. this is part of the thing right it's not you're not hacking bank of america where someone has spent a lot of money to make sure that no one can get into that and then also spend a lot of money are you, are, are you worried of, about voting machines though are you worried about absolutely being? well i mean i'm worried about voting machines just not working mm -hmm. but i mean i'm also i think i mean i don't know that it's extremely likely but the result of it would be so catastrophic mm -hmm. to just sort of the the body politic of mm -hmm. oh, okay you know that election do we think it was fake we're going to go back and forth on whether it was fake based on this information. I mean, just the conversation over each time we have the DNC or Sony, there's this back and forth over attribution because mm -hmm. it's so high stakes, even though we never really do anything about it. Well, that you know of. Well, I mean, well if it was right. Right. Let, let's just say worst case scenario, there was a hack on our voting system for this uh, presidential campaign. I mean there would have to be some type of recourse, I would think, if that was exposed after the fact. If we went, all went out well, in November and voted, and then it was you know three days later, like there's been a major hack on the voting system. Like I just don't see how we could rest on the results. But well, I think that's the trickiest thing. Where I mean, I don't know that you would actually get to a point where you could attribute it to, well, or, or you could say definitively, you know what, we know that this was electronically tampered with, and and that's mm -hmm. sort of what's. And then it would enter weirder. the political spectrum. Yeah, well, I mean, and then, yeah, I mean, so are we all just going to go back the week after that mm -hmm. and say, okay, guys, like, new election, yeah. mulligan, mm -hmm. and certainly whoever <laughs> won the election isn't going to be thrilled about Lauren, that. Lauren, you're forgetting the chads. That went on for some while. <laughs> well, no, exactly. Who knows who won that election? The, and uh, I, mean, I just like that you use the term mulligan because Kara doesn't really like sports balls, I know what so. a mulligan is. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to do a little Let's making take a of break money, for some money making. Which. Money making right there. In a minute, we're going to answer some questions from our readers and listeners. But first, today's show is sponsored by Qualcomm. They were the company that first connected our phones to the internet, making our phones smart. And now they're connecting the internet to everything else. Most people don't know this, but Qualcomm creates the technologies we use every day, whether it's powering experiences in our smartphones, Wi-Fi in our routers, sensors in our cars, or virtual reality. Qualcomm is leading the way to a fully connected world. Technology is at a pivotal juncture. Billions of devices are becoming connected, affecting not only how we communicate with each other, but also how entire industries are shaped. From healthcare to automobiles to smart homes to smart cities, Qualcomm is leading the wave of innovation that will significantly improve how we live. They're accelerating the seamless connectivity, as well as intelligence, of billions of other devices and leading the world to 5G. 
This episode is also brought to you by Videoblocks, a subscription-based stock media company that gives you unlimited access to premium stock footage everyone can afford. You get unlimited daily downloads from a library of 115,000 HD video clips, After Effects templates, motion backgrounds, and cinemagraphs. On average, subscribers pay less than a dollar a download over the course of a year. This is the same content you'd find on more expensive stock sites at cheaper prices. There's a great variety of time-lapse, aerials, U.S. and international locations, slow motion, nature shots, and more. They're continuously adding new content to the library so it stays fresh. Subscribers receive membership-only access to the marketplace for even more clips from the global contributor community. Everything is 100% royalty-free even if a subscription is canceled. You get unrestricted usage rights for personal or commercial projects. Keep what you download and maintain usage rights forever. Videoblocks is offering Too Embarrassed to Ask listeners a year's subscription for $99. This is $50 off the usual price tag. That's less than $10 a month. Get your yearly subscription today for only $99 at videoblocks.com slash ask. That's videoblocks, which is V-I-D-E-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash ask for this exclusive offer. All right, every week we ask our readers and listeners to send in their questions, comments, and complaints about tech topics. You can do that by tweeting with us at hashtag too embarrassed or emailing us too embarrassed at recode.net. This week we asked our listeners for their questions about hacking. Lauren, do you want to read the first question? Sure. And we should say too that some of these questions were all over the place in a good way. Some are, are yes. broader questions about hacking. Some are more about um, personal protection for your own accounts and information and that sort of thing. So um, they run the gamut. But the first one is from Sonny John. That's at Sonny underscore John on Twitter. And he asks, where do most of the hacks in the U.S. originate from and what entities are targeted the most? This is a tough one. Um, Russell? Russell, yeah. do you have any insights So, I mean, that? this is the tricky thing. We were talking about attribution. We kind of don't know. I would say in terms of foreign, like, attacks that don't originate in the U.S., there's just, you know, I, Russia and Eastern Europe tend to be very, very active, right? And and also you see this if you ever, um, credit card companies are extremely aware of sort of sudden surreptitious charges from Russia or Ukraine or, or sort of that region. Actually, um if you're traveling, you can call your credit card company and say, oh, I'm going to be, you know, in Moscow next week. Like, just so you know, like, make sure the charges go through. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my friends was going to Russia and sort of called her company and they said, oh, don't bother. Just bring cash. <laughs> We're not going to. You can call us and tell us, but it won't matter. We won't honor it mm -hmm. no matter wow. what. Because, well, I mean, and just sort of having built up all this thing of being in the U.S. It was, right. you know, if, if you're, there are a couple of hotspots where they just don't. There's also flavors of, of hacking. Yeah. So the Russians hack credit cards. The Chinese yeah. hack this. The I, I was with the one of the, I think, the Mandiant CEO. And he yeah, was going yeah. on and saying which countries like to focus on financial services and others. And, and he didn't mention U.S. hackers at all. And I said, what about you? <laughs> U.S. hackers. He's like, oh, they're terrible. Like he was like, they're just <laughs> terrible, not even like, in the not same good class. at it or terrible. He's like, like no, terrible at hacking compared to the not, worldwide not group of hackers. Well, there's also I mean, a we bit should at least a, be good at hacking. There's a bit of like it. a gentleman's agreement where like U.S. companies don't like the reports. So we get, you know, we've got their companies all over doing reports on all all sorts of you know state based hacking, but you know. Kaspersky Lab, which is based in Russia, tends to focus on U.S. and European and Chinese 
state hacking and sort of the U.S. firms focused on Russian and Chinese hacking. Well, he was saying the U.S. hackers are yeah. not as good as the ones. No, no, I'm sure. Firm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, which was really funny. All right, the next question is from Jonathan Bernstein at DF Campfin. Is it worthwhile to have a unique random password for each of our website logins? Awesome. Yes, definitely. Yes. So, I mean, the thing that you will see You mean is... one, two, three, four is not... <laughs> no. I love Hopefully Lauren Good not. is not good, Kara, so change well, it. Well, that's all of them, everybody. So, I mean... None of them. By is... which I mean none of them. So, for most passwords, it's a web service. So, it's not just... You know, if the hacker is alone in a dark room with your computer and it's not checking onto anything, then they can potentially just cycle through a lot of passwords, in mm-hmm. which case it is good to have the random one. Although in the long term, you're kind of screwed anyway, because they're just going to eventually guess it. But, you know, most things, you know, if it's Gmail, you're not just going to run through a thousand passwords before, you know, Google will notice that you're guessing more than a password mm-hmm. a second and say, hmm, I think something suspicious right. is going on here. So, but the case in which it does matter is a lot of times you'll get a situation And this was true, this is true for data breaches in general, where a company loses control of a password database, but it's still encrypted. But if they know some passwords that are likely to be in the list, then they get an unencrypted version of the whole thing. And so having a lot of them be random things that are hard to guess makes that process a lot harder. Mm -hmm. And then also we get a lot of, you know, in terms of having different passwords for the same service, once they do get it unencrypted, they'll say, you know, maybe they have everyone's LinkedIn password, which is not just a hypothetical example. That did happen. Mm-hmm. Then the first thing they do, you know, they, they're not really going to get anything from the LinkedIn account. So they'll try it through, yeah, they'll yeah, try they it in your banking account. They'll try it in your mm-hmm. email account. They have different passwords for every single thing. Yeah. That's no, I mean, that, and that's the important thing. Because then if one of them gets breached, you don't have to say, oh, wait, right. was I using that one for all of these others? So, uh, yeah, I mean, and there are a lot of good services. One password is one that well, that's the next question. Yeah, the yeah. next question is from Bobby Perotti. Uh, he's at Rotso on Twitter. Maybe our goal as tech literate people should be just to educate on one password first, get people to stop reusing passwords. So in short, what you're saying, Russell, is if you have a long, complicated password, you know, randomly generated with a lot of different characters, then you're um, you're less vulnerable to brute force, which is this idea of someone just like, you know, it's a hacker cycling through several potential passwords in, in seconds and trying to figure out what your password is. And then worst case scenario, they do get past one entry point. They're not able to use that same password and cross-reference it across multiple accounts and f- get access to, let's say, your financial so services. So what do you think right? of one password? And so do I love one password personally. I do like, too. I use it yeah. and I like that it does uh, device-to-device syncing over Wi-Fi rather than storing things in the cloud. I find it really easy to use. I mean, there's a it's not like a learning curve. It's just it takes some time to set it up. And get all of your the shortcuts in the browser set up, and just get all of your accounts in there. But once you use it, I find I think it's great. But I haven't tried many. Have you tried other ones, Russell? Have you tried uh, what, yeah, what yeah. So Dashlane actually, and I, LastPass? There are a bunch I of use them. I use LastPass, which is probably not. I mean, so it's the cloud version of One Password, and it's probably just by virtue of being the cloud version, sort of less there. You get fewer security points for doing it because. It is kind of, if they ever had a problem, I would be really up a creek. I mean, and also they had, there was some, I think it had to do with how they autofill because I noticed that they changed it, but I think they recently got a bug report and changed what they were doing because there was some concern. Anyway, but I mean, from a usability perspective, yeah, they, it's it's been mm-hmm. perfectly easy to mm-hmm. use. 
Mm-hmm. And for those no, of you, you by the way, just very quickly, who have never used one of these password managers before, what it's doing is you're, it's taking, let's say your LinkedIn account, just because we used that example before, and you're saying, here's my email that I used to log in, and then it will generate a random password for you, and you use that to you know, sign up for your account, and then that will store it for you, store that lengthy multi-character, confusing, you're never going to remember password for you. And it just means that every time you go to log into those accounts now, you might have to go back and cross-check this password manager, copy and paste and put it in. So it makes the signing in process a little bit more of a pain. Totally worth it. You can also have your own passwords too. You can also put your own passwords in there too. You can, but they'll rank them for you. So like in one password, if it's not a very strong one, if it's weak, if it's likely to be, you know, it'll be little yellow, I think that a yellow color will pop up. And then once you have a strong one, it'll turn green. And yeah. So anyway, but they do cost money. We recommend them. All right. The next one is from Eric Johnson, who works for us. Serious question for once. Yeah. For once, okay. <laughs> what is the lowest hassle way to do two-factor authentication? Think of non-techie friends and family. Yeah, so I actually have... I've got my mom's in here. Mom, do you know two-factor authentication? Obviously. Obviously. Oh, she does. Okay, fine. Let's move along. All well, right, so, explain so it for the regular people, not Lucky Carney. Two-factor authentication is probably more important than having a password manager, and it is just... It means that if they have your password, they don't have everything because it also is going to either there's an authentication code. Well, the, usually there's an authentication code, which you get either or through an app text. or, or text. yeah, a text. So the text is not great. Like the text is probably the easiest one to get around because they can just clone your phone if they hack into your AT&T account. Mm-hmm. We, I wrote a story a little while ago that was how they got through this guy's two-factor. I actually have, I have this YubiKey usb thing Mm -hmm. which is it's like 20 bucks for usb key which is a little steep but it's not just storage it's sort of doing some fancy handshake and so i just put that into my computer's usb drive to log into my gmail Mm -hmm. and i am not the kind of person that loses their keys but i respect that some people might and so it'd be a pain for them but if you are not the kind of person who loses your keys i totally recommend it I believe they have mobile versions, although I'm not sure entirely. So you put it into you your computer. Yeah, I just put it into the computer and then I pushed a little doohickey and then. And you have to done. have that particular device. I need this particular device. And what also, happens if it ends up in someone else's hands? Yeah. Your USB well, key. My, They'd well, have they would computer. Yeah, they and wouldn't. Device. And they would need to know what, like, how would they know what my Gmail account is and also what my password is? But then, so, what if you lose that? What happens? What if I lose it? Yeah. Well, then I'm really in trouble. Well, how do you get yeah. back? I mean, I would use one of the like codes that codes Gmail you. gives you to. Well, no, but I mean, like codes. they have the they give you the ones that you yes. print out and put in your wallet. So yes. I would have to use one of those. You don't put them in your wallet. Well, I guess that's um, better. That I mean, this is a first world problem. But every time <laughs> I switch FYI. hardware devices, like phone, you know, I switch phones a lot because I'm testing them, and I have two FA set up on one yeah. of them. Then it's still it's it's device specific, so it's still on that piece of hardware. And then I switch phones, and I have to go through the whole process and set it up all over again. But I realize yeah. that's not a lot of people. A lot of people don't have that problem, except for the very rare occasions when they switch phones. Yeah. Well, no, but I mean, this is really the weakness in the system. Is I mean, what you do if you're trying to break that? Then is you say, okay, well, I lost my key. I forgot my password. Like, come on, reset it for me. Yeah. And the question is what's the standard then? I mean, this is how they got Matt Honan yeah. all, all mm-hmm. back in the day was That's they, right. you know, they called up Apple customer service and they said, well... They're a little more savvy on that I, one these days. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that... I tried the other so, day. They wouldn't give it to me. Not, oh, well, not, I mean... Not for anything and not That's for... good news. I mean, I'm, it was not probably bad news for all the hackers in China. Time, but. No. 
<laughs> but yeah, I mean, that tends to be the weak point in the system. And at that point, it's really just leaning on companies to make sure you'd that recommend two-factor right authentication compared to not having it oh strong recommend yeah, yeah strong definitely recommend. do that in every it's usually it's like thing. having a better lock on your door yeah I mean, they're going to get in if they want to but. well and i would say also especially for your phone service so right. i'm on verizon and i and i push for that because that's often how they try to get around it all right lauren last question last question is a, a long one daniel smith He's at Java Joint on Twitter. He said we can use his name, though he did uh, send me this in a private message. He said, greetings. I have a security question for your show. Greets. He says greets. 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 I know. I'm going to start using that. It's, it's quite nice. That's a Brooklyn hello. It's a, <laughs> you would know. You've been spending just, a lot of time I, I, there. I've just been, yeah. Exactly. You and the hipsters hanging out at the Apple store in Williamsburg. <laughs> going to Whole Foods and Warby Parker day. after this. Okay, it's considered good practice to use a VPN over open Wi-Fi, but what to do about places like cafes, airports, etc. that have captive portals? One can't start their VPN until they are connected, so for a short time they are exposed. Any ideas like a pocket router gateway? This guy's like really getting granular. I kind of love it. Interested in what your guest will say. My own experience is that I prefer to tether my laptop to my phone via Bluetooth and then VPN from my laptop. So... Taking a step back, first of all, yeah. what, is, open what is a VPN? We've all used I VPNs, use but like what? explain briefly what a VPN is and then this idea of captive portals um, in the brief interim he's talking about. Okay, so... Now, first start with captive portals, like open Wi-Fi that you have in an airport or... Yeah, okay, so, so DEF CON and Black Hat, the hacker conferences are going on right now, and this is a, a common trick that they do where if you're connecting to an open Wi-Fi, that there's no sort of password handshake between you and the Wi-Fi, you don't know what it is you're connecting to. So someone else could have a fake Wi-Fi network that has the same name and they're sitting next to you. So you think you're connected to the coffee the, shop, the coffee shop mm -hmm. but really you're connected to Joe's cyber criminal sitting next to you. Mm -hmm. And sort of you don't even know when the switch took place because your computer just sees another network with the same name. He thinks it's just the same network with two routers. Right. Um, is your computer a he? Mine's a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose I gendered it. I didn't or they. No, yeah, the new they. Thing is they. Yeah. My computer's a they. So that's a very tricky... And this is also true, by the way, we're uh, you know just down the street from one of the new New York City public Wi-Fi right, terminals. Right, which is called? Link MIC. Link MIC. Uh, owned by a Google... Uh, or operated, I should say, by a Google spinoff. Yeah. Um, Everything's operated by... Yeah, these things. <laughs> um, and, and so it's uh, they have tokens that you can do for a more secure connection, but most people are going to be connecting in this open way. And there is this concern of, oh, you know, is someone else going to make a, a fake link MIC thing and then use that to spread a virus onto your computer, right? And so when he's talking about the brief interval there, the concern is that's, you know, the interval when you're signing on, right? Because if, if you're in a coffee shop Wi-Fi, a lot of times they'll flash a terms of service up front mm -hmm. and ask you to click continue. And so is someone else going to masquerade as the Wi-Fi? And, and when you're clicking continue, really, you're getting a virus. Mm -hmm. um, so one, one of the things you can do is you can get a VPN, which means instead of connecting to the Internet at large, you're connecting to this sort of third-party service, which you're then browsing the Internet through that. Right, which is supposed to protect you. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and it's sort of because you have the password connection and, or sort of HTTPS connection with that you can be sure that everything you're talking to is really the thing that it says it is. Do you go on open Wi-Fi's? I don't. I also, this is... Never? An, uh, is it like a hard well, fast? It's going to make me lose my... What? I just stay on my phone. You do it from yeah. your phone. 
I do the but same. But that's I just go on cellular data for my phone and resist the temptation to do more than email. And okay, I think but what about the, if you have a laptop and you're somewhere, say you're a reporter for a fantastic tech publication? Nobody's saying using the, he's tricky. using his phone as the hotspot, right? Is Could that what you're saying? Phone as the hotspot. I mean, or you the, just the, literally are on your phone. I, I won't say that I've had a hundred percent. You know, but why wouldn't you use the phone as a hotspot? Saint, like, why would you? Well, know? though, I mean, I don't actually. I, I'm like on T-Mobile, and I'm not even tetherable. It's right. not like a weird. It's All a right. Bad so situation, say you're on but, Verizon, and you could be. Yeah. No. I mean, it's is that, that I think. Yeah. No. That I think is is a solid, secure way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think, I mean, in general, it is harder to compromise an iOS device. Mm-hmm. Like th- that's actually a fairly difficult. Mm-hmm thing just because software control is fairly serious it's not just going to let you download and install a third-party program that doesn't come through the app store so unless it's got like an enterprise certificate or something like it's going to be fairly hard to what about going through a MiFi that you'd plug into your computer yeah no that's absolutely true i guess i guess i'm thinking in terms of like threat levels and okay where the safest would be a MiFi or something like that. Right well, the now. safest is not using not your computer. Using, I that's got that I'm part. Yeah. But, but that's you like want to get a computer. Yeah, you like, don't want to get a communicable disease. Internet. Don't have sex, and that's the usually safest not is the choice. I can do lots of stuff on my phone. Why you can do lots of stuff that's not sex? I can use I can use a modern media stack and no, I get it. But say you're doing sometimes you have to be on your laptop. What what is the list? Do the list. I would say the MiFi is good. Tethering your phone is good. Um, VPN, you know, right? VPN, VPN through a, you know, if you're connecting, as soon as you do it, there's no portal. You're going directly to the VPN. That's good. And you know, using never a an open cafe. Wi-Fi. I'm in a coffee yeah. shop. Kira, remember yeah. when you went to China and you were looking for VPNs oh, to download? I was doing. It. I, well, we I used mean, one when we were with, in Vietnam last year up. too. We had to use one. Through I just Hong brought Kong. a crappy Android thing. And I, I mean, threw the thing it they afterwards. say if you're like if you're like a Boeing executive and mm-hmm. you're traveling to China and you know that you're going to be a target, they say just bring another laptop that's absolutely clean and has nothing. But, I did that. Yeah. And then I had already signed into everything. So I didn't have to re-sign in. And then, so I didn't have to put my password in. Yeah. And yeah. then I, I used that and threw it out. There you go. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the move. I assumed it was dirty, but I don't know. I mean, I had no idea if it was, but I don't care. I mean, this is what now, if we get sometimes into to the verge, we'll get an email where someone sends us a PDF and they say, you know, this is secret and yada, yada, yeah. but we won't. And, you know, we have to open it. Like, we, what if it's the new iPhone or something mm-hmm. or something even more newsworthy? Um, and, and what we do is we get a Chromebook because mm-hmm. like iOS devices, you know, it limits what's available to run on it. And so mm-hmm. the software controls on Chromebooks are, are generally better. Mm-hmm. And then we open it with a burner Gmail address. And, you know, even so you if we send it to we new... send it to, yeah, a separate test Gmail oh address God. that we have set up. And then mm-hmm. we open it with a Chromebook, which has just been factory reset. And then and then Neelai it sets that. it a fire. And <laughs> <laughs> well, no, then we send it, you know, send it back to factory reset it and send it back to, to Google when we're done with it. Oh, you give it so back to all... here, Google. Yeah, here you go. Yeah, no, Dirty exactly. computer. <laughs> Sorry. Russell, do you recommend so there, people I mean, if... use PGP oh for email or for anything? PGP? Yeah. So I mean, do you I use have, it? I, I mean, I have it. People can send email I to me. I do not and understand I've, it. I try it my hardest. It's not. It's so confusing. 
I it's know not all these great. dudes are going to write me, but it is. I'm sorry. Well, no, it's funny. You. Actually, we were doing, uh, we wrote this piece about Uber a little while ago that was getting, they were getting sued for this various Something. thing. Uh, well, no, it was for contracting this investigation that then turned out to commit fraud in the process <laughs> of the investigation. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But the point is they wanted to communicate secretly with the investigators and they were going back and forth in PGP. And eventually the Uber executive said, look, I'm sorry. I really, I can't open this email. Like it's horrible. Just get Wicker and send it to me through Wicker. Yeah. And then we have the decrypted conversations up to that point. But once it was on Wicker, it self-deletes and we don't have anything. Oh, so wow. they were able to be effective secure wow that's interesting and we had uh well, Nico yeah, from Wicker she, she did at she, i can't believe she even year. showed up that she wore sunglasses on stage she like, actually you know. wore sunglasses for longer than kara did which yes I and we also have uh, i just Indoors. got from mr robot the thing to cover up this is my last question then we have to oh, go yeah. um i got from mr robot a little cover-up of the camera which yeah. i use all the time before mark zuckerberg did but all yeah. i cover up all the cameras yeah i think that's a good idea i mean I you know idea. it again we haven't seen one of these on osx yet but like black shades if you google black shades it was a very popular tool and remote camera access was a very I popular just... part of it and it cost like 40 bucks to get this program that if you could get someone to click on the email would then you would t- be, be able, able to, to take over their camera yeah, and it's I've also it. it's an easy fix it's a piece of tape you know what, like, i've what seen it, it enough hollywood shows and they're yeah. way behind so yeah. i'm assuming it's no it's easy. a real thing yeah i mean the the thing i like about it is it's a very easy fix and you that's how i monitor lauren all the time yeah. I don't know <laughs> well i was just gonna say during this podcast kara i actually um i hacked into your email because it, you that's mm-hmm. how easy it is so um i have a few that i just i want to read here if you don't mind <laughs> Um, so this one is from Ariana Huffington from over the weekend. She wrote to you. I just want to let you know. She wrote to you on Saturday morning and she said, dear Kara, while I usually enjoy your podcasts, especially that brilliant co-host of yours, I have to say that your impression of my accent is pitiful. Would you please stop trying to imitate me? I know sincerest form of flattery, but there can only be one me. Best Ariana. P.S. Take Uber. (laughs) Here's another one that actually came into your inbox last Friday that I saved Uh for you. Um, uh, hey, Kara, can you call me when you get a sec? We need your advice. Verizon having second thoughts. Tim. <laughs> they should have third um, thoughts. Very funny. And then you know, this last one is from you. I, I don't think you want people to know that you sent this one, but okay. okay. Hey, I heard you at another party on Saturday and once again did not invite me. Listen, I'm really hoping we can put the past behind us now. I wasn't hiding out in the air vents all those years, only sometimes. But really, Marissa, can't we be friends, please? Let me know the next time you're having a <laughs> gathering. I make a mean trifle. So this is what's in Kara Swisher's inbox, you everybody. Know what? Those are good emails. But fascinatingly, everybody, all these people that you're discussing text me. Absolutely fascinating. <laughs> well, Facebook then me. I got into your iMessage. We don't use emails anymore. <laughs> and we use text and other ways of communicating. Sometimes we Snapchat each other. Ariana loves my, my um, way to talk about it. Have you heard my Ariana impression? Oh, my oh, God. Oh, no, I'm very curious. curious. All right, let me just things. do it for you, Russell. This has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thank you to our special guest, Russell Brandon from The Verge. All right, go ahead. I, I, I just can't even follow that anymore. Go okay. ahead, babe. Well, Come on, if babe. you... <laughs> Thank you, Ariana. If you enjoyed the episode as much as we did and did not sleep through it, even though Ariana encourages everybody to sleep, be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. Let me just tell you, 
Every time I write her two in the morning, she responds to me and asks me why I'm not sleeping. And then I'm like, why the fuck aren't you sleeping? I'm just saying, I'm just going to just like tear the yeah. debunking the sheet whole off of that one. So sleep revolution. <laughs> and subscribing is great. You'll be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where I answer all of the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask. That's on iTunes.com slash too embarrassed to ask. You can also subscribe on Google Play Music, TuneIn or Stitcher, or you can listen to every episode at recode.net slash podcasts. And while you're there, you should check out our other podcasts like Recode Decode, Recode Replay, and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Yes. Kara, I listened to your Recode Decode with the Hamilton producer this morning on oh, my way into work. It's fantastic. One. It's from a few weeks ago, so check it out, everybody. Amazing. I'm still uh, not Verge. getting tickets. What was that? I'm still not getting your tickets. Not happening. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> but you already had tickets. I do. <laughs> Well, when you're mayor, you should take me to see right. Hamilton. Yeah. The Verge also has some great podcasts for your listening pleasure. Walt Mossberg and Eli Patel have control. Walt Delete. Neelai also hosts The Verge Cast. Chris Plant hosts What's Tech. And Liz Lopato and Emily Yoshida have Verge ESP. And don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to at Recode with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to our sponsors, Audible, Videoblocks, and Qualcomm. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. Thanks to Russell for being here and tolerating us. Yes, thank we'll you. We'll be back next week where I will be broadcasting from down under in Australia to answer more of the questions that you have been too embarrassed to ask. Tune in then. <laughs>